0: The History of North America has made the following top listener charts on GoodPods. Number 27 in the Top 100 History Chart and number 15 in the Top 100 Indie History Chart. We now have listeners and viewers in over 125 countries and continue to climb the ranking charts of many nations, including Australia, Romania, South Africa, and Italy. Come join me and my 38,000 friends and followers on social media via markvinette.com. Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. Our narrative takes us to Florida and the arrival of French Protestant Huguenot colonists in 1562. Charles Fort was established when a French expedition organized by Huguenot leader Admiral Gaspard de Coligny and led by the Norman navigator Jean Ribot landed at the site on the May River in February 1562 before moving north to Port Royal Sound. There, on present-day Paris Island, South Carolina, at that time a part of Florida territory, Ribot left 28 men to build a settlement. Eric Yanis of the Other States of America podcast has graciously agreed to share his telling of this incredible story.
1: They named their new fort, Charlesfort, after King Charles IX, King of France. And then on June 11th, Rabot and Laudanere left Charlesfort for France, promising to return in six months' time to their little Huguenot paradise in the subtropics of the Americas. But these men that were left behind they weren't settlers, they weren't farmers, they weren't fishermen, they weren't diplomats, they weren't interpreters, they weren't traders, they weren't merchants, they were soldiers. Not the best skill set for creating a colony. Not in the beginning, anyway. The main concern here is food. And you have a bunch of soldiers who neither planted food nor brought an extended amount of food. They're planning on Rabot and Laudonnière returning in six months with provisions, for which they have very little up. Now they're dependent on the natives, and thus far the natives have been very giving. And anytime they show up somewhere, the natives come out with food. That's the thing, in native culture, food is often brought as a greeting. It's not a continual gift, though. And the Europeans don't understand this. They say, oh, I visited this village and they gave me food. They have food there and they're willing to share it. No, 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 no. They're willing to present it as a gift one time for meeting you. They're
2: not willing to feed you forever. But this problem was not evident at first. Their thought was not of subsistence, but of gold. Of the thirty, the greater number were soldiers and sailors, with a few gentlemen, that is to say men of the sword, born within the pale of nobility, whom at home could neither labor nor trade without derogation from their rank. So we have a bunch of soldiers, and then we have basically
1: useless nobility. Nobody's thinking of food or planning for food, and instead their eyes are set on a North American El Dorado a new Tionnachtlan, a new Incan Empire, somewhere far off to the west. So at first they were able to obtain stores of food from the natives, and those gifts would get smaller and smaller as the months wore on. And then their storehouse at Charles Fort burned down. They lost everything. They had to rebuild, and the food was gone. And then as hunger set in, and the summer wore on, and it got hotter and hotter out, the men began to revert to their baser instincts. Food theft was running high, insubordination. The leader of the Fort Albert banished a soldier, Lachere, to an island to die of starvation by himself. Then Albert found it necessary to enact the death sentence by his own hand, and he hung a young drummer boy. And as the time wore on, the ships weren't coming. No resupply was in sight. Something had happened. They had been forgotten. They were lost to time. Now all the men, at the end of their metaphorical ropes, mutinied against Albert, killed him. With Albert dead, they put a man named Nicholas in charge, and they went off and they rescued Lacherre on his island, starving to death. They brought him back. But the murder of their leader didn't change their living situation at all. And now they even had reason to fear a French resupply ship, as of course mutiny was a capital punishment.
2: The sweltering forest, the glassy river, the eternal silence of the lifeless wilds around them oppressed the senses and the spirits. They dreamed of ease, of home of pleasures across the sea, of the evening cup on the beach, before the cabaret and the dances with kind wenches. And so it became apparent to the men they had to try to
1: return home. But they had a severe problem. None of them were shipbuilders. None
2: of them were sailors. Not one of them knew how to build a ship, but Rabot had left them a forge with tools and iron, and a strong desire supplied the place of skill.
1: And so they went about cutting down trees. Now, it's not clear that they had any sort of sawmill, and so they were probably dealing with some rough logs. And they used moss to caulk the seams in between everything. For their pitch, they used pine, which would be a little more appropriate than moss. The natives, probably eager to get rid of them, were able to provide them with ropes. And then they made sails from their own clothing and the few bedsheets that were brought over for the soldiers. As you can imagine, even brand new, this boat was a sorry sight to look at. And the men reluctantly, with no sailors, decided to have a go at the Atlantic Ocean. Except for one young boy, named Guillaume Rufy, who took one look at the sorry sight and decided, hey, you know what, I think I'm going to cast my lot with the natives. Who did, to their credit, take him in. And so with Ruffy left behind, the French set sail in their rickety ship. Now Rufi was later found by a Spanish expedition, who was sent out from Havana and probably spotted one of those marble columns left at the front of the riverways. The natives gave him up, and the Spanish forced him to show the location of Charles Fort. And the Spanish burned it all to the ground. And so our story of Charles Fort ends with its complete destruction. But that does not end the story of the men of Charles Fort. Both the leaders, Ribot and Laudanere, and those poor folks who set out in the boat. Our ragtag group of soldiers headed back on their makeshift ship. Made good timing, actually. They made it quite a ways across the Atlantic. The wind was in their favor, and then suddenly it died down, and they were adrift in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Their beginner's luck at sailing had run out. The storms began, perhaps hurricanes, we don't know. The ship, caulked with moss began taking on water, and they needed to have a 24-hour bucket brigade constantly emptying out the bottom of the ship. And then, of course, the meager rations they received from the natives parting the North American continent began to run low. And the food was rationed down to 12 kernels of corn per day. And then, even that gave out. In desperation, the men began to drink seawater and then eat anything that was made out of leather, like their boots, some, instead of drinking seawater, decided to drink their own urine, and then famished and dehydrated the men, began to become angry once again as they were before when they mutinied against Albert. Only this time, instead of seeing another man's food as your potential food, they began to see other men
2: as their food. Gnawed with famine, they counted the leagues of barren ocean that still stretched before, and gazed at each other with haggard wolfish eyes, till a whisper passed from man to man that won by his death might ransom all the rest. The lot was cast, and it fell on Le Cher, the same wretched man whom Albert had doomed to starvation on the lonely island. They killed him, and with ravenous avidity portioned out his flesh. But even poor Le Cher was not enough
1: to sustain them to the end of their journey. And eventually, the men in their progressing stages of dying grew so weak they could no longer man the ship, or bail out the ship. And they just laid about, and the boat went adrift. And when all hope seemed lost, they were found by an English ship and brought back to England. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off,
0: thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth.
1: Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010.
0: Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
1: Being back in the old world, perhaps now they would find out what happened to the resupply. Where's Rabot? Where's Laudaner? What is the news from France? Well, it's to that story we now turn. Just a few weeks after our original group left France for Florida, the first French civil war of religion broke out. All that tension between the Huguenots and the Catholics that Laudaner and Rabot and everybody else was sensing finally came to a head. And it was while our subjects were out in the middle of the sea. They didn't know it was happening. But this would prove to be the first of at least nine civil wars of religion in France. March 1st, 1562, the Catholic Duke of Guise, with his armed escorts, encountered a Huguenot service. And they slaughtered over a hundred of them. Who were otherwise innocently having a Sunday service. This leads to unstructured and structured violence throughout France between Huguenots and Catholics. Catholics and Huguenots were throwing each other out of buildings onto fires. The two factions quickly became organized around two individuals: the Duke of Guise or Guise, representing the Catholics, and the Duke of Condé, representing the Huguenots. Both these sides, on paper, remaining faithful to the crown, but having their own conflicts with one another, and they're both concerned with their own safety. And so they decide to organize themselves around those principal needs. Catherine de' Medici, the queen regent, mother of King Charles, bans both dukes from Paris. She wants both of them out of there. She's not endorsing either side, She's not agreeing or disagreeing with either side. She wants both of them out of there, as they are essentially both usurping the power of the crown by raising private armies, by battling one another, by not participating in a unified France. Condé leaves, but the Duke of Guise stays, and he's not forced out, and the people of Paris hold parades for him. And so the Huguenots see this as subtle and not-so-subtle support for Catholic aggression against otherwise peaceful Huguenots. The Huguenots, in many port cities especially, seize control of these towns. and towns where their majorities are near majorities, they essentially make city-states out of them, at least for the short term, in order to protect the safety and the lives of their Huguenot residents. Because in their eyes, the crown has forfeited them. And in the midst of all this chaos and violence and death, Laudonaire and Rabot show up back in France with their small fleet. Hey, we have made a colony, everything's going great. We have friendly natives, the weather's good, there's golden cities far to the west. We're having a good time. Uh Uh-oh, what's happening here? They discover their illustrious leader, Admiral Gaspard de Caligny, is leading one of these Huguenot armies. So, of course, the two of them immediately fall into place, and they join the movement, protecting these coastal Huguenot cities. Rabot, in particular, being of higher nobility than Laudanere, took a real leadership position until he could no longer maintain it, and the cities were falling to Catholic forces and he ran away to England. Rebeau was an impressive man, and in England, Queen Elizabeth herself received him, and Rebeau tried to elicit from her support of Charles Fort, which, for all he knows, is still there. Elizabeth is very impressed with him, but she doesn't want to upset the Spanish, especially to support the French. What good does that do for England? She instead offers him a free house, a pension, and a commission to explore the coastline of what is Spanish Florida for England. In their final negotiations, Ribot says, you know what? We're all Protestants here. We're Calvinists, right? I'll give you Charles Ford. We'll transfer it from France to England if you support our resupply. This was an offer Queen Elizabeth could sink her teeth into. And so along with an Englishman, William Stuckley. Ribot, William Stuckley, I'm going to give you guys a bunch of money, I'm going to give you guys a fleet of five ships, and you're going to resupply Charles Fort on behalf of the English in our long-term plan to make a foothold in North America. Now this sounds like it should work. However, for some unknown unrecorded reason, Rebeau was caught trying to flee with Elizabeth's fleet. It's assumed by many historians that Rebeau was not being genuine when he offered to hand over Charles Fort to the English and he essentially wanted the English ships to resupply the fort on behalf of the French, whom by this time it looked like the Civil War was going to wind down and everyone was going to be happy again. But Rabot was caught fleeing away and was imprisoned in the Tower of London. This is where he writes an account of his perspective of this story up until this point. Those poor starving men at Charles Fort, instead of receiving a fleet of five ships, at least one boat just stocked full of food, Stuckley, Rabeau's English business partner, decided to use the fleet to go privateering instead. And so now you know, on both sides of the Atlantic, Charles Fort was doomed. The men, hopeless. The endeavor, lost. But it would be in this very same year, 1563, that Catherine de' Medici, the king's mother, would organize a peace between the Catholic and the Huguenot factions. And there would be a truce of sorts, for the time being, between the two religious groups. There would be a unified France once again. And French Florida is ready to begin anew. Charles Fort being no more, the French Huguenots were determined to start again, to find their place in the French Empire, and maybe make themselves a sack full of gold in the process. Next time,
0: Huguenots again travel from France, this time to establish Fort Caroline in what is now Jacksonville, Florida check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin healthy weight loss. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking Calotrin promotes better sleep Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605.